work. And I had this kind of like cough that just I couldn't get rid of. So um, I one night I started coughing up blood and I went to the ER and, you know, and it was so funny. I was just kind of rereading the story of how it happened the other day. Um, you know, I went in and I, to be honest, I was kind of annoyed to go in. I was like, I, I, why am I going? And this is like a cold. It'll go away. Like, I don't even know. Like my husband told me I need to go to the ER. I'm like, fine. Okay. Um, and I go in, they're like, no, we'll just do like an x-ray just as kind of a routine thing, you know, just to be safe. And they were almost like apologetic about it. Like, oh, I'm sorry to put you through this. It's so annoying. Um, and so we did that and they were like, okay, like, you know, we're just going to do like a CT scan just to make sure everything's okay. We're sure it's nothing, but we always like to check for blood clots and stuff like that. So I was like, okay. I mean, it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I'm like dying to go home already, but I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And, you know, the doctor came back in with like a very solemn face and he was like, you have um, a mass on your chest that's been pushing down on your lungs. And that's the reason that you have this cough that hasn't gone away. And it's most likely lymphoma. And I just literally, my husband and I were in the room together and I was like, my jaw dropped because I was like, I didn't actually even know what lymphoma was. I was like, and I asked him, I was like, is, is, is that cancer? And he's like, yeah, it's cancer. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Welcome again to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast. I say welcome again because if you happen to be seeing this live on our YouTube or Facebook, we were just live like two hours ago, so I kind of, it's bittersweet. I love the endless podcasts in a day, but at the same time, uh, we are working on a routine schedule for you guys and completely different topic in this episode. Um, Annie, we were just talking about fertility in the last mm -hmm. one. If you're listening to audio, you have no idea what I'm talking about and no worries, so we'll keep moving on. This will be episode 279 and I will read our guest's bio here and hopefully I can nail the awesome last name. <laughs> Her name is Annie Mabashov. Did I get it right? Great Close job. enough? Okay, perfect. And she is a certified FDN practitioner who helps people struggling with their health get to the root cause of their health issues using functional lab tests and personalized health building programs. As a cancer survivor, she knows firsthand the impact that functional-based nutrition and lifestyle changes can make to help regain health. After completing chemo back in 2013, she was cancer-free but still suffered from a weakened immune system, chronic fatigue, and recurrent infections. So traditional Western medicine, I'm guessing, tried to help but did not provide long-term solutions to rebuilding health. Three years after the chemo, she still felt awful and started seeing a functional medicine practitioner who took the time to go through functional lab work and put her on a new protocol that transformed her life and helped her regain her energy and health. Subsequently, I decided, or she decided to pursue training in functional health and became an FDNP so that she could help others. I always have thought, obviously we've connected before, I always thought this was like a really cool niche um, in probably two in all the episodes that we've done so far, I've never had someone with this exact story that serves this exact audience. So uh, going to be a fun topic today. And well, not that it's the main point of today per se, but of course, we're going to dive into your story. So welcome to Yeah, Michelle. thank you so much for having Evan. And it's so good to reconnect with you. Um, and I really appreciate it. I know that you're doing the back to backs today and just keeping that energy up. So I really appreciate it. I love it. Um, and thank yeah. you for that, that well, introduction. Yeah, well, they know secretly I would do like five of these a day if I could get people yeah. to tune in live. Yeah, I feel like well, you have I'm enough energy for it. Like, I wish I could bottle up that <laughs> yeah. much energy. I love it. <laughs> I almost need five of them so that I, you know, can go to bed yeah. peacefully, get it yeah, all out yeah, of my I system. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, no, so that's, you know, pretty much summarized it. You know, I, I got into this, um, you know, in my my former life, I was a lawyer. And um, when I was on maternity leave, um, I found out that I... Uh, had stage four, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was crazy because I like, if you looked at me, I looked super healthy. Like no one would ever know that I was sick. Um, and so, you know, I did chemo six months of like, you know, the highest dose of chemo you can do. 
And, you know, afterwards I just, for years I felt awful and I just kept going from doctor to doctor, trying to figure out like, what, what's going on? Why am I getting sick all the time? My hair is not growing back. I can't get my energy back. I couldn't figure it out. And finally I went to go see a naturopathic doctor and they did kind of all the tests that I now do for people and you do as well as an FDMP. And we were able to figure out like my gut was shot. My immune system was super low, you know, everything was just not working. And so, you know, kind of working through the nutrition part of it and, you know, the functional health part of it, I was really able to kind of regain my health and get back to myself. So I'm, I'm so grateful to be here in that capacity. Um, I know, you know, you have a similar story in the sense that you've, you know, also had your own health journey. And I think that like a lot of us in this field, we kind of get into it because mm -hmm. we have had our own health struggles and we are on the other side of that and we want to help people feel their best. Yeah. And I, it's, you're right, because even without cancer, it's still conceptually, I actually just said this the other day, it's like conceptually identical stories. We have this usually very surprising or shocking set of symptoms or diagnoses. We're like, what the heck's going on? And of course, naturally, the, the common sense route is to go to Western medicine first, then we're normally left with some side effects or an incomplete form of healing from that. And so we move on to the next thing. And obviously we're focusing more on, again, the nutrition and mental health side today, but I, I'd still, if we can like to dive in even more to your story. So you said it was super surprising when you originally got this diagnosis uh, because from the outside and probably subjectively you felt and looked healthy. So, I mean, that's pretty far delayed in like what symptoms led you to going and getting uh, this diagnosis or was it just by sheer chance that they found yeah, it? Yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, I was really tired, but like I had a newborn that wasn't sleeping. So, you know, that was kind of just like par for the course, right? So, um, you know, I had had this cold and it just, you know, it wouldn't go away. I went to the doctor, they gave me antibiotics, the antibiotics didn't work. And I had this kind of like cough that just I like, couldn't get rid of. So um, I, one night I started coughing up blood and I went to the ER and, you know, and it was so funny. I was just kind of rereading the story of how it happened the other day. Um, you know, I went in and I, to be honest, I was kind of annoyed to go in. I was like, I, why am I going? And this is like a cold. It'll go away. Like, I don't even know. Like my husband told me I need to go to the ER. I'm like, fine. Okay. Um, and I go in there like, you know, we'll just do like an x-ray just as kind of a routine thing, you know, just to be safe. And they were almost like apologetic about it. Like, oh, I'm sorry to put you through this. It's so annoying. Um, and so we did that and they were like, okay, like, you know, we're just going to do like a CT scan just to make sure everything's okay. We're sure it's nothing, but we always like to check for blood clots and stuff like that. So I was like, okay. I mean, it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I'm like dying to go home already, but I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And, you know, the doctor came back in with like a very solemn face and he was like, you have um, a mass on your chest that's been pushing down on your lungs. And that's the reason that you have this cough that hasn't gone away. And it's most likely lymphoma. And I just literally, my husband and I were in the room together and I was like, my jaw dropped. Cause I was like, I didn't actually even know what lymphoma was. I was like, and I asked him, I was like, is, is, is that cancer? And he's like, yeah, it's cancer. And I was just, it was like shock. Like I, I couldn't even imagine, like, I mean, I was 31 at the time. I was like, I look super healthy other than obviously being like a tired mom, but like there's no, I had no other symptoms. I didn't have like enlarged lymph nodes or a lot of the other symptoms that people with lymphoma have, like, you know, night flashes and stuff like that. Wow. Okay. And so I'm sorry, because I know you just said this, I guess I just really want to dive into this to almost show a point to people. So prior to this cough though, like, and it's tough because you seem, I mean, just if anyone's a lawyer, right, you got to be super smart. You're hardworking as hell, right? These are not 30 hour a week jobs. This is like uh, intense. We're going, going, going. So with that said, though, do you do you think there was a chance that you were kind of uh, pushing some symptoms off because of your strong mindset? Or did you really not feel much of anything uh, like negative until you had this call? I really honestly didn't have any symptoms. I mean, I was home. I was on maternity leave. So I was home um, with my son. Um, but really like I was fatigued, but you know, again, like I wasn't sleeping. So it's like, you know, that kind of stuff I was just pushing off because it's just, you know, it was kind of par for the course, but really I, I didn't have any of the traditional symptoms whatsoever. And I actually, I asked my doctor about it once I was like, would there be like, if I had, let's say not discovered this at some point, would there be a point that like, I would have had symptoms and he's like, yeah, like probably in a few years, if you hadn't come in and discovered this kind of on chance your lymph nodes would have been more enlarged, like things would have happened eventually. They just hadn't happened yet in the process. Wow. Uh, the reason I asked is because, I mean, yeah, sure, I have my own health story, but really there's been this uh, 
fascinating set of revelations as I've interviewed more and more people on here because it's all different types of health issues. And really the only, like this is not the first time I've heard this, but it's only with people who have some sort of cancer that, and again, it's not every cancer, by the way, but the only time I have heard it is what I'm saying. The diagnosis ended up being a sort of cancer where people swear everything was actually pretty good. And then something happens rather rapidly. And then it's like, holy cow, this has obviously been growing for a while. It didn't grow in the last two yeah. weeks uh, before you went in, right? It's like something's yeah. going on. Um, unfortunately, that even happened uh, with my aunt. She, We literally had Christmas Eve all together. Everyone's happy as can be. Um, she was getting some headaches apparently for just the last few weeks that you know we didn't even discuss on uh, Christmas Eve. Looked healthy as can be. She was super thin. Goes in three days later just for the headaches, brain tumor. And it's like, what? So I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that is, you know, and I just find that I, I won't use the word fascinating because that implies it's a good thing in a sense. But it, it is interesting to me that this is happening um, in this sort of population. Yeah. So you obviously uh, go through the normal Western medicine treatments. Totally understandable. I don't think I've had anyone on here yet that's opted out completely. Cancer is a different uh, ball game, So be smart with these things. That's it's not medical advice, but like seriously, use the best of both worlds. I think that's the best option. But you were not into any. Um, functional medicine stuff when you were doing the treatment for cancer. Correct? No. And then, you know, just to be like a hundred percent transparent at the time, I was like, we didn't even eat organic. Like I was like, I like, I thought organic was like a scam at that time. <laughs> like it was really bad. Like I was like drinking diets. I was super thin. So I was like drinking diet sodas and eating like all these fat free salad dressings that have like a million chemicals and stuff. Um, uh, but I really had like no inclination. I mean, other than like I did, al I've always eaten like a lot of fruits and I've always cooked that I've always done. But like in terms of like eating more clean and being like aware of like a toxic burn and all that, like I really wasn't into any of that. I thought it was like a little like, you know, woo woo for me. So sure. it was really like a, you know, not a field I would have expected myself to go into. Yeah. And what a crazy irony because uh, one, I totally can ex uh, respect that because even though I've been into this stuff for a while, I can also see other people's perspective. This is not the default way of thinking. It is normal if you're sick to go to Western medicine. You need to have these experiences happen to think outside the box. It would be weird to go to the other thing first unless you've studied it in some way or had a, a family influence. So the, the reason I said it's ironic is because of all things, you're not eating organic, like you said. And we know a lot of the non-Hodgkin's lymphomas now are associated with glyphosate and they're getting sued completely. And we're trying to take it off the market very slowly, which is amazing that we can't do that overnight because if you and I sold a product that did that, we would be shut down immediately. Right. But they get a special thing where, well, you can remove it over several years. Uh, crazy. So with all that said, thank God you're still here doing obviously well. And it kind of inspired you to get into the space. So um, were the labs that you did with that functional doctor, were they uh, similar to stuff that, you know, maybe FDN would do? Or like, what what did you look at if you remember? Off yeah, I mean, we definitely did like a gut, you know, a stool test. So, you know, definitely I saw like my commensal bacteria was really off. I definitely had like some dysbiotic growth, H. pylori. So we kind of dealt with that. Um, <clears throat> in terms of like, hormones. I mean, my hormones were definitely really low. Um, actually, the chemo put me in a uh, uh, what is it called? Like put me in early menopause basically. So my, my hormones were completely off. So that was like, you know, not working. My cortisol was really high because it was, you know, look, it was like stressful. So, you know, all of that like was obviously um, something that we worked on. And she also did a micronutrient test. So that was really good to see because a lot of my nutrients were super low, um, especially, you know, some of the ones like, as you know, that are super critical things like my B vitamins, my omegas, um, my glutathione levels, you know, all those things that are kind of protective against cancer. Um, you know, I had really high levels of inflammation. Um, and it's, you know, I, and the thing that's always so crazy to me is I just remember, and I, I love my oncologist to death, like he saved my life. But I will say, like, when you ask your oncologist, like, what should I be eating during cancer? They're like, eat whatever you want. I mean, you know, some things make you nauseous, have like a bagel or cereal or whatever. Like, they never tell you to eat like healthfully. Um, they're just like, whatever makes you feel good. Um, and obviously, you know, I did, I, I studied on my own and I did, you know, eat more healthfully, you know, during my treatment, like once I kind of knew I should. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's not like the traditional thing in Western medicine. Um, so, yeah, so we definitely worked on like, you know, kind of working on all of those different like functional lab tests and, you know, doing the supplement protocol, the nutritional part of it. Um, yeah. So that was, that was very helpful. Yeah. 
it, it it is insane to me too because unfortunately the stuff with my aunt was r- rather recent and you know <laughs> i think anyone that goes into the functional space has these experiences where once you're dealing with your healing and it's like going really well you want to spread this on to everyone right you want to give it to everyone and you eventually come to the next stage where you realize it is not your job uh to go save everyone in fact it's quite rude in a certain mm-hmm. sense to like push yourself into everyone's conversation. So my philosophy now is if I find out someone that I care about dearly, I get a diagnosis. I send an initial thing. I'm so sorry. I have people that I believe that can help. If you'd ever like that, let's talk more. You will never hear me bring it up again. And that's the approach I took with my aunt. Unfortunately, she passed away. Uh, She was not willing to do the dietary stuff. But the things like she was eating, and I'm not judging her. This is not her judgment. It's the recommendations she was getting. The stuff she was eating with a full-blown cancer diagnosis two years into this thing at our family parties were stuff I wouldn't even eat. Like right now, today, I would still not eat and drink because I know how badly that would affect me. And I'm not also blaming the oncologist, right? That's why these things are very complicated because this problem goes so much higher uh, than all these things because quite frankly, the oncologist doesn't even uh, know what I'm about to say most likely because they've never been presented with this. But you being told to eat whatever you want, that is not science. That is not what science says about cancer. It is very clear that they respond, most cancers at least, respond extremely well to high levels of glucose. And so to say like, oh yeah, just eat a bagel, drink the red wine still. He literally told my aunt to still have a glass of red wine at the family parties. I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. You're going to have something that converts purely into sugar um, for a cancer patient. I just, I I don't want to become ranty. Obviously, that's still a, a personal thing. So I won't go too far down that road today, but it is wild to me because it's one thing to be, you know, a little ignorant of functional medicine where we do mix common sense with science. It's not always just purely, I can prove this with a peer reviewed thing. It's like common sense tells me eat real food, right? Like that, that seems safe enough. The science does not support that you should eat whatever you want or can um, as a cancer patient. So I hope that uh, we continue to support these people at a higher level. Now, obviously the main point of today is talking about how mood can be affected by nutrition and supplements. So is this the niche that you ended up focusing in? And how did you go from uh, this cancer and and post-cancer kind of story to focusing on that type of thing? Yeah, well, you know, I think, I wouldn't say necessarily with my niche. My niche is really, I mean, I really work with, um, you know, busy professionals and and moms that are, you know, between like the ages of, I would say like 30 to 65 um, that are in, you know, some form of like perimenopause or menopause. Um, and, and really what I like to see is like, I, I like to work with people who are, you know, smart, they're motivated, but like they, they have some kind of stumbling block, whether it's, you know, they've been trying to lose weight and they can't do it, or their energy has just been super low. And it's kind of using that, like, you know, health detective part of what we learn in our program to kind of figure out like, what is it that's preventing them from getting to where they need to be? Um, and I think, you know, a big part of that is the mental health component. You know, obviously, like we know that if we're like, you know, feeling depressed or anxious or tired, like we won't want to exercise, you know, or we maybe won't want to put together a salad. Like we'll want to reach for some pizza or burgers and fries. Like that's just like what we'll want. And and there's a chemical reason for that. It's literally like our neurotransmitters are super low and we're just craving things that are going to kind of help boost us up. So, you know, once I work with people and they start feeling better and, you know, their minerals or vitamins, their neurotransmitters or hormones, all of that are kind of like more in line, then they automatically kind of make those better choices. So there is kind of a synchronicity between, you know, mental health and, you know, just nutrition and wellness when I work with people that I see a lot. I love that you described it this way. I don't think I've really ever heard someone actually say it this way, especially on the podcast, because I get this from experience. Like, it's funny, the longer I do the health stuff, because I had the mental health issues, right, as you know, the longer I do that, you know, what the outside world calls discipline, like they'll be like, oh, you're so disciplined. I really don't consider myself a particularly disciplined person. I would say I'm in the bottom half of that kind of stuff and I can be impulsive. But when your brain is operating properly, like, what does discipline imply? Discipline implies that you are fighting um, an urge to do something. You're saying that, oh, I have an urge to do this, but I'm not going to do it. There's my discipline, right? I wouldn't say I'm fighting a lot of this stuff. I would say when your brain is healthy and there's not that fog and there's not that extra inflammation, better decision-making becomes very clear. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of hilarious. And I, I do not mean this for one side or the other. I'm, I'm 
condemning both sides right now. It is hilarious when I look at like the political state in the United States of America and I help can't help but thinking all these millions of people are voting and half of us, I mean, the majority of us are sick. 60% of people have a chronic disease. You can't even learn new stuff half the time when you're this sick. And we're all making huge decisions like this on who to vote for and then wonder why half the country's pissed off at the one side and then the other half's pissed off at the other. It's like, maybe we make worse choices when we can't even make the basic choices of our day, uh, let alone these uh, very big ones uh, that kind of impact the entire world, right? So I always think about it from this grander scale. I mean, I love what you say about the mental health side. It's like, if we can get this down first, all of a sudden, these other things that we need to do for our health become a lot clearer. So how, or easier, I should say. So how do you approach that initially with your clients? Like, let's say someone is, you know, dealing with some depressive type symptoms or anxious type symptoms. How can we start getting them on the right track if maybe they're a little resistant to change in the beginning? Yeah. So there's really like, you know, when I think about like nutrition, there's four areas I really look at. I look at, you know, neurotransmitters. I look at inflammation levels. I look at gut health. Um, and I look at minerals. So those are like the main areas. So I kind of want to work on like each one of those individually. So, you know, for neurotransmitters, for example, like what creates neurotransmitters, right? So neurotransmitters are created by like amino acids, you know, things we get from things like proteins, like, um, you know, chicken, eggs, um, you know, dairy, beans, all of those things, because those help create neurotransmitters, which in turn help us feel better. So like one thing, just to give you an example, like I have a lot of my clients start their day off with like a paleo shake. And what that does is it really like keeps them really full and it helps them get through to lunch, but it also like all the amino acids and it actually really helps their mood and it kind of puts them in like a good mood for the rest of the day. So that's, for example, is like one thing I would do with somebody to, to kind of help start them off to a good day. And, you know, protein, as you know, is, is it's basically like a satiety hormone. So as soon as we kind of start our day off with like sufficient amount of protein, all the decisions that we make from then on are going to be good decisions. Like, you know, when you start your day off, like I have a lot of my clients start off their day with like a paleo shake and it has a protein powder. It has fiber from greens. It has like a healthy fat. Um, and it has lots of like water and hydration. And so automatically their cravings from there are going to all just be like congruent with that. Like they're just going to crave vegetables. Mm -hmm. They're going to crave protein. They're going to crave healthy fats. They're not going to crave sugar because like, you know, those hunger hormones have satiated that part where they're not like going to have like a big slip in their, their glucose levels in an hour. Um, so that like, for example, is something that I, I do in terms of, um, starting off their day, you know, to make them successful. Do you do anything, and I know many people don't, that's why I'm curious, do you do anything with the neurotransmitter testing that's offered, um, like through the functional space, or is this just using common sense, like, hey, you know, protein breaks down amino acid, creates the neurotransmitter, um, like, do you test it all, or do you just kind of use the you know, I, I'm sure you use it too, I'm a big fan of the Dutch test, um, and it's basically, it's like a hormone, you know, and stress test, and there are neurotransmitters on there, like, I think it's, um, like, dopamine and serotonin levels, so I always, when I'm working with someone, I always do look at that, I actually, I have a client right now, who he, um, he had a really interesting story, but he basically like grew up taking antidepressants, you know, kind of in and out for like probably 20 plus years. And he recently got off of them and we tested his neurotransmitters and they were super low. And it was, it was just made so much sense because he had been on them for so long. I think he probably wasn't able to create them anymore. And it's, you know, you know, I'm sure like it's hard to create them once you've been on antidepressants for a certain period of time. So, you know, just kind of helping, like, obviously, you know, we supplemented with neurotransmitters, but also helping with like the nutritional part of that, again, like making sure he's getting enough protein, making sure he's getting those healthy fats, getting him like lifestyle supports, like exercise and all of that kind of stuff that helps kind of naturally create, you know, all those endorphins that keep him happy. So just kind of looking at that, like, yeah, so I use the Dutch for that really more than anything else. You And I'm sorry if I misheard, but I think it came across as you supplement with neurotransmitters transmitters did you mean you supplement with amino acids yes sorry um yes amino acids so you know things like um like you know tryptophan um yeah 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 i had asked because we had um a dr josh friedman on psychologist who's super super big into this stuff and it was a hugely successful episode people love the topic so how do you get the right dosage for the person do you have a structure or system that you use or Again, I mean, you can kind of use common sense with this stuff. There is, it's very interesting. The studies actually show that a self-report 
is more accurate for guessing the amino acids that are better for the person uh, than a lot of the tests out there. So I'm not hating on any, because the Dutch test is for something else primarily, and then they use the organic acid markers for the neurotransmitters. I get that, right? But there are also neurotransmitter tests out there that can be real hit or miss. And again, the current science shows a self-report is actually better correlated with the effective amino acid treatment. So it's kind of weird. So do you just have your stuff? Do you kind of know what to do now? Or is there a system or test that like stress test uh, or sorry, survey test that people can take um, to figure out what dosages might work for them for some of these amino acids? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a combination of like self, like you were saying, and I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, self-reported symptoms are probably the most. And sometimes even when you use like the Dutch test and you look at the neurotransmitters, they're not always exactly accurate. So, you know, you want to always kind of use like reported symptoms. You don't want to just like read the test. You want to read the person. So when I work with somebody, I'll ask them, I'm like, you know, how has your mood been? Have you noticed any changes since we've changed your diet? Like where kind of are you at? And so that really impacts like, you know, kind of the levels that we start. But I always start, I'm very like, I tend to go very conservative on supplements. So I always start at like the lowest levels. Um, and I keep it that way for a while. And then I'll slowly titrate up if the person needs it. And a lot of times they don't need it. Like, I don't believe in just supplementing to supplement, like only if it's really absolutely necessary. Um, and a lot of times people don't need it. Like I had a client, for example, I mean, this is a silly example, but he was telling me, he's like, um, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, every time my husband doesn't put like dishes in the dishwasher, I get super annoyed with him. And, you know, we were just talking about like the dishwasher and, you know, we worked together for a few months and he told me one day he came in, he's like, you know, today I checked the dishwasher and my husband hadn't done it. And he was like, it didn't even bother me. I just emptied it. It just was like in such a good mood that it didn't even bother me. So it's just like sometimes even, and we just did nutrition. We didn't even touch supplements. So I think sometimes even just like getting sufficient amount of nutrients can make such an impact in your mental health. You don't even necessarily need to go to like supplements. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think the amino acids are fantastic as a, um, for me, they're like a frontline thing and it's all completely, I mean, shout out to him. Dr. Josh Friedman was the one who introduced me to that. Um, it's Julia Ross's work in the mood cure that he bases it a lot off of, but I have seen those things turn someone around in a couple of days. And this is as safe as can be for, for the most part, right? It's don't take unlimited amounts, but like generally speaking, taking some five HTP um, or some tyrosine, this is not going to kill anyone, man. Like this is good stuff. And so it's very interesting uh, what it can do for people. I also think it's funny that you just mentioned, like when you're in a good mood, the same thing uh, cannot trigger this stress response for you or you're able to handle it better. Uh, the example that I've heard brought up before is like, imagine you're first falling in love, right? With And it, you, we all know how that is. Nothing can happen bad in the world. Tornado could come through and you're like, ah, that's okay. You know, we can rebuild, right? Like that love thing is so strong in the initial stages, especially that you look at the world differently. And I, I, not that we can stay in that state forever. That'd be wonderful, but that's not realistic. The reason I bring that up is because I think it really proves the point that all the external factors of life can be the same but how we perceive it can be different based on our mental health and our state, right? When you're in love, there's nothing wrong. It's not that the external world got any better. It's still pretty crazy out there, man. Um, but we're perceiving it differently, right? You also mentioned the inflammation side of this. And I love this aspect of the mental health and mood conversation because thankfully, even Western medicine seems to be shifting a bit uh, because we know it's not just neurotransmitters. It is absolutely a part of it. Otherwise, the amino acids, for example, wouldn't work so well. But when you say inflammation, if someone's clicking on this, because especially on like the YouTube or Facebook thing, they might really just find this in a search. They might have no idea what FDN is, who the heck we are. And so they're wondering, well, what does she mean inflammation can cause mental health issues? So why do you work on that? And, and can we... Uh, kind of uncover that. Yeah, absolutely. So inflammation is essentially like your cells become, I mean, I always like to picture it like, you know, when you fall down and you skin your knee and it kind of gets like red and puffy, that's inflammation. So that's like good healing inflammation. That's your body like regenerating. Bad inflammation is like basically when that happens on more of a cellular level and it's just, it's like chronic, it happens all over your body and it doesn't get better. So inflammation is kind of like the, at the forefront of every disease, right? It's at the forefront of cancer, diabetes, heart conditions, everything. So you know, we know inflammation obviously is negative. Um, and so one of the things I always work on with people is like an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, you know, from a diet perspective, the things that I find to be the most helpful for inflammation are, you know, things like, um, like berries, like antioxidant rich berries, things like, you know, blueberries, 
raspberries, um, cherries. I love a wild blueberry. I don't know if you ever use those, but those like teeny weeny ones, they have tons of antioxidants, great for reducing inflammation. Um, you know, leafy green vegetables, anything green, like kale, chard, any of that, throw that in anywhere you can, whether it's like a smoothie or a stir fry. That's amazing. And I also love like a cruciferous vegetable. Um, you know, cruciferous vegetables are also like, they are powerhouses. I remember when I was going through chemo, um, cauliflower was something that like, I read tons and tons of studies about how that helps reduce like the size of like tumors is basically like just eating straight cauliflower. So there's that benefit as well. Um, and anti-inflammatory diets, I mean, it's basically very similar to like a Mediterranean diet. And that historically has been really shown to be very effective to reduce levels of inflammation and, um, you know, and restore health as well. What's fascinating about this, and I will, um, it, Tracy, who helps with the podcast, if you can remind me, I want this in the show notes because people won't even believe this necessarily. So obviously the inflammation, we can call it a hypothesis in a sense. It's not fully proven. So a hypothesis in a sense of mental health, it's a weird connection and it, and it sounds really good. So I, it was years after first hearing it. It's not like I came up with this right away, but I had this thought, Annie, where I was like, wait a second, if inflammation can lead to mental health issues, why wouldn't something like an Advil temporarily relieve mm -hmm. mental health symptoms? So I figured, okay, I'm, I'm no PhD, right? Someone has had to thought of, uh, think about this before me. And so I searched on PubMed. I looked this up and not only did I not find just a study, I found a meta-analysis that took 30 studies and 26 out of 30 of them showed that NSAIDs, so the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, for those that don't know, that's like your Advils, Naprexone, stuff like that, they do temporarily reduce depressive and anxious symptoms in people who deal with it. And then, of course, someone could say correlation isn't causation. That's just a random side effect. The meta-analysis, I guess, they must have been people like us because the way that they did this was so smart to make an argument. They also looked at omega-3s in there and they looked at curcumin. So now it's very hard to write off that it's just an unknown side effect of Advil that, I mean, because you could argue that. It sounds weak, but technically speaking, mm -hmm. you could. But when you bring in two other known anti-inflammatory agents and it showed the efficacy of all of these things for anxiety and depression that's pretty damn hard to argue. So how many people are getting these diagnoses or, I mean, we're having a positive conversation. I don't mean to be uh, negative about it. I actually hope it inspires people to take action. How many people are having suicidal ideations or even worse acting on that when it was inflammation that would have led to that depression yeah. stopping? I mean, that's, that's had to have happened by now. You'd think someone has unfortunately passed away from suicide that otherwise could have been treated through addressing their lifestyle and getting that inflammation lower. Like how crazy is it's, that? It's it's so crazy. And I, you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that there is such a connection between inflammation and, you know, anxiety, depression, brain fog, all of that. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, I know, for example, even like for my kids, you know, they have, they're anxious little guys. So I give them omega threes and that really actually helps calm them down. And there is like such a correlation between their mood and, um, and, you know, like that mental health part of it. I think we might have froze. I hope it's you're frozen on my end. Um, oh, I think I lost you for a second. <laughs> uh, we did. I'm sorry. So I, I threw my Ethernet in just in case that was it. Um, apologies for that. So I can edit that out on the audio side, but live. We're still here, so got to run with it now. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you gave an answer to that question about how crazy is that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But no, I was just saying like, you know, I really do agree with you. There is such a connection between, you know, inflammation and mental health. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, I feel like, you know, the first thing is just to give you like some antidepressants or something, you know, with for mental health, where honestly, like you can get amazing results, like you mentioned with things like omega-3s or um, like curcumin that's been, you know, proven to reduce inflammation by crazy levels. I remember I read a study um, about how like in places like India, where maybe chemotherapy isn't as readily available, they use curcumin, like high doses of curcumin, and it actually helps reduce tumor growth. Um, so it's like, it's amazing what the power of some of, you know, these like naturally occurring vitamins and minerals can take, and they can actually impact your mental health just as much. Yeah, but you're pretty good at this. You flowed with that, uh, that accidental break pretty well. So nice job. That'll sound good on the uh, post edit. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's nuts to me that this is happening. It's nuts to me that it's not addressed. And 
Even scarier to me is that people are not properly informed about how they're getting treated with mental health. So when you take an SSRI, uh, half the people probably won't even look it up. The other half might because we have access to the internet. And I think it's very natural, no matter what the condition is, to start looking up the stuff that you've been diagnosed with or are taking for the diagnosis, right? It's pretty human. And so you look it up and you assume, because you're not a PhD, most likely, that at face value, it does what it says it's going to do. So what people don't get with the SSRI thing in particular, so those selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the claim is that it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin. So make in theory, that would make more um, free, freely available serotonin. Now, the reason I say theory, and again, the consumers never told this, is because it is a theory. One, we have no idea if serotonin alone is actually correlated with depression. I do believe that, especially with what we do with the amino acids, it seems to make a lot of sense. But the point is, we can't actually prove that. Believe it or not, folks, it's actually pretty hard to measure stuff that's going on in our brain. We're not great at that. So we can't even prove that. And then we also can't prove that SSRIs actually do what we think they're going to do and even if they did do that, that it would lead to an increase in happiness or lack of depression. So I don't mean to be confusing and use a bunch of negatives, but that's that's literally true what I said at the time of recording this. We do not know if that's the actual mechanism of the medication. We don't know if serotonin even matters in a sense for depression, although I would lean towards it probably doing that. And then you say, well, okay, it's worth the risk if it helps people. Sure, but a lot of these SSRIs, I mean, these are black-labeled medications now. They're not side effect free. Some of these side effects are suicide, right? Like actual attempts. So it's one thing if we're doing something that, hey, you know, the worst you get is a headache every now and then, but it could potentially help you out. I'm fine with that. We can experiment. When we have this amount of side effects for these things, and then we're giving it to people who, because they have other jobs and passions or just aren't interested in this, are never actually going to do the research to realize what they've just been given. Um I don't mean to get overly passionate about it. Obviously, you know, we're hitting on a topic today, I, again, both with my aunt and with this for me personally, it, it's a personal show today in a sense. Um, I get a little frustrated with it, right? So mm -hmm. have you seen anyone, and I'm not recommending people go do this. I'm wondering if you've seen this in your clients. Have you seen people that maybe came to you using medication that no longer required it once they were done the work with you? Yes. And I, you know, I always say just to start, you know, I always say like, you know, listen to what your doctor says, you know, let's do the things complimentary. And, you know, when we're done working together, if you feel like it's something that you don't need anymore, you know, let's talk about that. But that definitely has happened in my work with people where, you know, I've had people come in who have had, let's say, like lots of anxiety or depression or other mental health, um, you know, symptoms. And, you know, through the work and changing their diet and, you know, doing the lab tests, um, you know, I do a lot of stuff around like lifestyle change. So, you know, like a lot of like natural stress reduction, understanding how to naturally re um like tame your nervous system, you know, that's such a big part of it. I'm sure, you know, like the mental health part of it is like, you know, a lot of people with mental health issues have an overly active nervous system and they just don't know how to calm that down. So that's something I really work on with people. Um, and the other thing is honestly that I found to be really helpful. And I, I do this with my clients is um, I have a hypnotherapy component to the programs that I do. And that's something that I, I've started doing maybe about like the past year, because a lot of times what I find with like mental health issues, there's a subconscious level that's really hard for even like anybody to get through on just a traditional, you know, daily meditation that like somebody who's a trained professional in hypnotherapy can really work on with them. And that really also helps with the mental health. So I really I like love the idea of a nutrition, you know, the functional health and the hypnotherapy and the lifestyle, like those things together. And that's usually where I see the most progress for people in terms of like their mental health, where maybe they can start having a conversation with their doctors about getting off an SSRI or, you know, that's always an option. Very cool. So for those that might be a little less familiar with like hypnotherapy, and, and I guess even if you were familiar with it, depending on who you're talking to, that could mean something as similar, uh, as simple as a guided meditation. For others, it could be like picturing the whole, you know, watch going back and forth. So when we say <laughs> hypnotherapy, what do we, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So I've partnered with, um, you know, two trained professional hypnotherapists um, and, you know, that their sessions are included in my programs. And basically, um, and this is something that 
I actually came, uh, came across hypnotherapy when I was going through chemo and the cancer support center that I, I went to had a hypnotherapist on staff and she's someone that I still work with. She's amazing. But basically the idea is you go in the first half of the session, you kind of talk about what's bothering you, what's going on. And then the second half of the session, you kind of, you don't get like hypnotized, like you don't know what's going on. They kind of help put you into like a meditative state where you can hear everything, but you're very calm. And they kind of tap into like that subconscious part of your brain and they kind of talk to you through like different for me, like I get anxious. So talking about like different, you know, things that are making me anxious. And so the idea is that like at the end of it, you've kind of tapped into certain parts of like your anxiety and kind of relinquish that in the way that they help you do it so that you feel like better at the end of the session. So it's not like real, like, you know, woo woo hypnosis. It's just like more getting you into that meditative state where you can tap into that subconscious part of the brain. Yeah. And I'm not familiar offhand, um, the literature behind it, if there is any, but I can say anecdotally, one of the first because what you're calling hypnotherapy, like I, that's why I wanted to know the definition. Many people would call guided meditation, stuff like that. So whatever it is, it's the subconscious thing that we're trying to work on. The, um, the way I was able to stop blushing during public speaking. Now I'm still an expressive person. I blush just in normal conversations when I'm laughing my butt off, right? That's, that's <laughs> who I am, but it was, way too evident in public speaking before when I started out like nine years ago and I couldn't get it to stop. And I actually did this guided meditation program. It was free off freaking YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I was doing this thing, hoping for the best. And one of the things that it asked you to do after you got into the meditative state was visualize the bad thing that was going to happen, not for public speaking. I think it was just general, uh, if I remember this meditation correctly. So you actually visualized the bad thing that was going to happen. And then you put up like this stop sign. And as the meditation continued, you'd progressively visualize the bad less and the good outcome that you wanted more. And I mean, someone could say placebo, that's fine, but it was free. So who cares? You might as well give it a try. I the first time that I public spoke without blushing and being read the whole time was right after I did that audio. Now I had been doing it for about a week, but I knew I had to public speak. I went out, did it, and it was good to go. I also did this, Annie, when I started flying again. I didn't fly for over 12 years because I was so freaking afraid. And when I started flying again, I'm like, dude, this is this is horrifying. I got to figure this out. I am not saying my fear around flying is completely gone. It is not. But this was coming from a guy who when I would drop someone off that I knew at the airport, this honest, swear in my life, this is true. I would drop someone off at the airport and my hands would sweat. Now mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm never going to fly again in my life. And my hands would sweat from dropping them off at the airport. And this is a guy who flies all the time. Now I'm flying for FDN tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't do it perfectly. I use medication sometimes prescribed, but going through that and picturing all right, myself on the plane and seeing myself in that calm state, um, that really helps. So I'm sure there's an advantage to working with someone, obviously, that's trained in it. But for those that might be like, all right, maybe this is the main takeaway that they had from today's show. Uh, do you have any tips for someone that might want to visualize some of this stuff by themselves? Like, what could they do to start practicing this uh, maybe for free? And I'm no, I know it's not going to be as effective, but what could they do if they wanted to? Yeah, I mean, I love, you know, just if you want to try out some free meditations, um, I love the honest guys. They're on YouTube. Yes. They've got some, you do love them. They're the best. They're just, I don't know what it is about like British people and meditations, but they're just <laughs> better at it. Sorry. Um, so they're amazing and you can just do them for free on YouTube. Um, I also really love um, Gabby Bernstein. She's just like someone who I've always followed. And I feel like, you know, she talks a lot about her struggles with like anxiety um, and meditation and manifesting. And so she has, if you go to her website, she has a bunch of like free meditations that could be really good for that. So kind of like, you know, like you were saying, kind of picturing what the outcome that you want is, um, you know, manifesting that. And so kind of getting, being able to get yourself into that meditative state. And they're all like pretty like 10 minute long kind of meditations. It's not like you're sitting there all day or anything. So those are a couple of resources that I recommend for, for clients to just to kind of do on their own. Um, another thing is, and this is like a little bit off topic, but um, tapping is great. And it's something that you can do on your own, you know, um, tapping is kind of like a combination of um, acupuncture and meditation, right? So it's like tapping certain pressure points like here, 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 and basically like working through that to kind of and saying affirmations and it kind of helps you. So um, I think like the most popular one is the tapping solution and you can kind of, you know, people can just look that up and it kind of teaches you how to do it. There's like an instructional video and it's free. Um, but tapping is like another really great tool to kind of tap into that like to tap into those anxieties, those kind of underlying subconscious fears that prevent us from doing things. So those are some good options as well. 
And the tapping, I, it, you want to talk about something that sounds woo-woo. That's probably about as far as it goes. And yet, ironically, that has studies behind it. That There is something about that that works. It is very uh, interesting. It's actually something I should try more. I just, I've never really gotten into it because thankfully I was doing well by the time I learned about it. But I, I know it can be used for a variety of different things. So I'm kind of fascinated by that. Uh, but yeah, that's cool. Thank you for the tips. The honest guys, the reason I smiled was because that was the first guided meditation I ever listened to in my life was 17 years old. That's how long they've been around. Let's put it that way. They were already a big YouTube channel and it was guided meditation, deep relaxation. That's the title. It was like 18 minutes. And I'm like, wow, I feel warm and this is so cool and I'm relaxed. And then unfortunately I went right back to smoking pot the next day as a 17 year old, but I tried, um, I was, I was working on it. I started doing it a lot more a few years later. So yeah, they're great. My son, my 11 year old son even loves them. Like, I feel like they just resonate with everybody. Something yep. about them. Yeah. It's good. Good people for sure. Okay. Yeah. So as we kind of come up on the uh, latter end of our show here today, one thing I wanted to ask about is we are, I talked about clients and how some of them have come to you and then not needed medication anymore with the approval of their doctor. That's amazing. Uh, do you have any particular client testimonials that stand out? doesn't even have to be about the mental health thing today. I just always love to talk to people about uh, client testimonials of someone that maybe came to you as an FDN practitioner they're at the end of the rope and you were the one that uh, was able to help them because that's something that many FDN practitioners have the privilege of being able to do for people sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know about you. That's my favorite part of like the work is, is when people have that kind of like aha moment and that transformation. So I just finished up a program with a client of mine. She was an assistant principal and she was, she was on the, at the end of her rope for a lot of reasons. She was definitely like really burnt out, um, you know, with her workload, she was unable to lose weight. She had high cholesterol. Um, just, you know, she was really struggling, you know, she had a lot on her plate, a very smart, very sweet woman. Um, and we worked on everything together. You know, we did an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about like removing toxins, making sure her inflammation levels were lower. We worked a lot on gut health stuff. She had a lot of like GI issues. Um, you know, her hormones were really low. So that's something we worked on. And then we just did a lot of like lifestyle stuff, you know, um, you know, she worked with the hypnotherapist as well. And she had a recording that she now uses. So I just had my final session with her on Sunday. And she actually said to me, she's like, I, you literally, this was like life changing for me. She's like, my cholesterol was 220 something. It's 140 now. Um, she's like, you know, she lost 21 pounds. Her blood sugar went down, you know, 10 points. Like it was just really like a radical transformation. But I told her, I was like, even just looking at you, like she was glowing. She's, she, you could tell her confidence was different. And it was funny. She actually told me in our last session, she's like, I just got offered the principal position at my school. So I'm going to apply for that. So I think, you know, there's such a beautiful part of like, when you make that investment in yourself, and I always tell my clients, it's not anything I'm doing, it's what you do. You know, it's what you're doing for yourself. It's like, when you make that investment in yourself, like I want to make my life better. And I'm just like here as a guide for them. All those good things start coming in, you know, new relationships, new opportunities, you know, because you've made yourself a priority. So I think that that's like a great story. It, that's amazing. And it is a literal investment, um, right? Because people think it's actually kind of sad. I don't feel like it happens that often with uh, the people that we work with nowadays. But you know, some people only see the price tag on it. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I wish I could fast forward your life for you to see that it is a literal investment when you can't. And maybe thank God they're just not sick enough to get it yet. But for example, I couldn't even work a normal 40 hour a week job at 19, 20 years old. So yes, when I spend money to get the lab test done and figure this stuff out, I can work a lot more than that now, right? So it's again, literal in that sense, but yeah, the relationships get better. The health gets better. It's a journey, man. It's never, you know, FDNs, we do a lot of three, six month protocols and, and that's great for the supplemental side and the biochemical side. This is a journey. Um, you know, it could be called a three, six year protocol because the deeper you go on the chronic health stuff, like you know, maybe you're in a good state um, on labs, right? But now you still have the psychological trauma that comes with the diagnosis and the shock that came from it. So you'll be working on that for a while. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's a really fun journey. And I say this all the time, people that listen regularly are probably sick of it. But I always say this is a personal development journey that uses kind of health as the as the vehicle. But you cannot get to the other side of this without changing as a person, that client that you changed their life, right? No, they changed and something mm -hmm. happened to them that they are completely different now, right? Yeah. 
it's it's amazing it's it, and it's like it's the most beautiful thing to see that transformation for people you know i'm just like i i feel like a proud mama like they're like my babies and like they you know they just like they really did the work it's amazing yeah. So Annie, we obviously talked about a variety of things today. And I know I had mentioned one time, uh, you know, kind of what your specific niche was, and then you corrected me with it. So while we shout out your business, I'd love to know where people can find you. But just to be clear again, can you also specify, not that FDNs can't work with anyone, but who your preferred client is so that if people were listening today and they're like, I, I really like this person, she'd be great to work with. They know if they're a good fit for what you offer. Yeah. And, you know, really, I, I the people who resonate most with me are, you know, um, busy professionals, because obviously that was my background. And, you know, moms, moms that have, you know, maybe not made time for themselves. Um, and I work with women and men. It's really not necessarily, you know, like gender specific. It's just more kind of that niche. Um, and you can find me on uh, my, my company's name is Well With Annie. And I'm on Instagram. And you can also go to my website, wellwithannie.com. And yeah, and I do, you know, complimentary discovery sessions to, you know, get to know you and see if we're a good fit to work together. Very cool. So I think you had said you only heard parts of the podcast before. So I will have our and thank you, uh, Tracy, for those watching live or just on the video recording. We got the um, URL below. And then if you're listening to the audio, we'll have, of course, all of this stuff in the show notes if you haven't already noticed somehow. But since you only listen to parts of the podcast, you probably don't know our signature question. It's nothing crazy. It's just more general um, in terms of the health advice that you might give here. So the question is, if you could be given a magic wand, and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So that, so that means you can force us all to do one thing, literally start a new thing, or you can get us to stop one thing. What is the one thing that Annie would get us all to do? Gosh, um, I know it's so basic, but just eat more vegetables, eat more vegetables, like that fiber, you know, the detoxification benefits, you know, especially like if you can get some leafy green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, just eat your vegetables. It's so simple, you know, but that's, that's the one piece of advice I would offer to everyone with each meal, have some vegetables. That's it. <laughs> I said it the other day. It's always the people that come on that are clearly intelligent, obviously well-versed. Like you jump to like three different topics that I'm throwing at you and just bam, took it with ease. And then the advice is straightforward and simple. Um, and what's easy to do is unfortunately easy not to do, right? But as complicated as we can get on the show, as important as the labs and supplements are, don't forget that if we all were doing the basics long term, I would go out on a limb and say we might not even need some of this functional medicine stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you know how many people are actually doing that. So Annie, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for dealing with the tech stuff and for dealing with my jumping around. Um, it was awesome. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure and thanks for always having such great energy. I love being on and I really appreciate it.